Welcome to Beyond Politics, broadcast on WKXL and available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Matt Robeson, and regular listeners know that from time to time, I join legendary radio broadcaster Howard Monroe on his show in West Virginia to talk about what's going on in politics. This week, I joined him to talk about my new article in Newsweek entitled, Trump is going to be the nominee in 2024, Why Aren't We Panicking Yet? I hope you'll check that out, and here's me and Howard. Matt Robeson is one of our uh, regular contributing correspondents here on The Morning Show. He is a former campaign consultant, congressional staffer, podcaster, talk host, and has written a piece I found interesting for Newsweek Opinion this week on, well, let me read the title to you. Trump is going to be the nominee in 2024. Why aren't we panicking yet? That's an interesting question. Matt, good morning. Welcome to the show. Good morning. I love to brighten everyone's Monday morning with a little apocalyptic fervor. So you're convinced Trump definitely is going to be the 2024 nominee? I'm just weighing the evidence here, and my entire theory is this. If there was a wildfire bearing down on your house, what would you do? And most people would say, well, I would do every last thing I can. What I try to do in this article in Newsweek is start from the end and work my way to today. And so if you say, well, look, there is a very, very high chance, I can't prove the future, certainly, but there is a very, very high chance that Donald Trump is going to be the Republican nominee in 2024. Well, what does that mean? And if you conclude, as I try to lay out in the article, that that is going to be an absolute disaster. I mean a Civil War-level disaster for the country, for, for American democracy, then I would argue we need to deal with the implications of that now. We need to start trying to head off that inferno coming for our house right now. I want to get your thoughts on what we do about that, but let me test your hypothesis for a second. I think it's, Trump is certainly making noises that he is going to run again, and I would guess it is a pretty good assumption if he runs he gets the nomination. But didn't we slap him down already? Hasn't America learned its lesson? Do we need to be that concerned about another Trump presidency? Isn't he just now the leader of a small band of cultists that really we don't have to worry too much about, even if he gets re-nominated? Well, he may be the leader, the direct leader of a small band of cultists, but that band of cultists has leverage over and controls the entire Republican Party. And you need look no further than polling. Now, I know you and I have talked about, I have some problems with polling. We all have some problems with polling. You, right. you know, take it all with a huge hunk of salt. But there is a substantial amount of evidence that the one thing in poll after polls done with different methods by different polling outfits, you see that Republicans have swallowed the big lie. About two-thirds to three-quarters of Republicans believe that the 2020 election was stolen. Howard, 60 federal courts, including judges appointed by Donald Trump, called this total hogwash, utter invented fever dreams of a madman. And yet, two-thirds of Republicans believe it is true. William Barr, the attorney general under Donald Trump, said, this did not happen. It is a figment of Donald Trump's imagination. And yet, we still have the majority of Republicans. We had 100 
47 Republican senators and members of Congress vote to overturn the results of a Democratic election in America based on Donald Trump's big lie. And when you look at polling of who is the most popular, who do Republicans want to be their presidential nominee in 2024, it is Donald Trump by a country mile with Ron DeSantis way, way back at something like 10% in second place. Yes, it's true, the hardcore Trump or die folks may be a small segment, but they dominate the Republican Party. And the final thing I'll say is that I relied to some degree on reporting here done by people like Bob Woodward, Robert Costa, people who have talked to everyone in Donald Trump's inner circle. No one knows what's going on inside his head. No one knows what's happening inside Donald Trump's head. But person after person who meets with him, talks with him every day, is convinced that he's going to run. And I guess my point is, if you conclude that him doing so would be a disaster, then you have to take the threat seriously. Whether you put the odds at 80%, 60%, even if it were just 30% that this is going to happen, if you think the result of him running is a real chance of a breakdown of this country into warring factions, like actually physically warring factions, then you've got to take the threat seriously. And while it may sound overhyped to say physically warring factions, we need to remember January 6th. Absolutely. And the government scholar Robert Kagan wrote in the Washington Post, you know, his words, not mine, you know, an expert, and I think echoing the views of many experts who have looked at this, stayed up late nights worrying about this, including law enforcement folks, four-star generals, people who really, really think all the time about the state of our country, the structure of our country, and the possibility of threats and violence in our country. What he wrote was, the United States is heading into its greatest political and constitutional crisis since the Civil War, with a reasonable chance over the next three to four years of incidents of mass violence, a breakdown of federal authority, and the division of the country into warring red and blue enclaves. And your point is spot on. We just saw this movie. We saw it in 2020. We had a violent insurrection, and in the literal smoking ruins of that attack, with glass shattered around the floor, with barricades destroyed, with four lying dead, with 150 police officers injured or maimed, 147 members of Congress voted to overturn the results of the election. So that's what happened in 2020. We saw that movie. It's hard to think of a lot of sequels that aren't worse. And this is a sequel that is very likely to be worse. We have several years before 2024, before the election uh, gets underway. I'm going to assume that Trump is going to run again and will likely be the candidate. I think at this moment that's a pretty good pretty good assumption. What concerns me, Matt, and I think this is germane to your, to your argument here, what concerns me is that in these handful of years intervening, we're already seeing state legislatures rewriting election laws, and if, as I fear will happen in 2022, Capitol Hill goes red with both the House and the Senate quite possibly 
uh, going into Republican control. You could see more federal action in rewriting election laws. The way the election is conducted in 2024 could be very different than the way it was in 2020. A hundred percent right. That is a hundred percent right. And I think most people don't realize just how close we came. And it was a hair's breadth. We came within a few strands of, of, of nerve cells in Mike Pence's backbone, plus a few party state election officials, including some heroes like Brad Raffensperger, the Republican Secretary of State of Georgia, Georgia. plus the fact that the Trump team didn't fully follow through on the coup memo, the Eastman memo, the plan, the blueprint they had to have a coup in America. We came within just a few of those factors from having an out-and-out overturning of democracy in America and an actual widespread civil war. We're this close. And what has happened since? You're right. Republican legislatures have continued to pass laws. And I want to draw a distinction here. It's a, it's a very important distinction. I want to credit the election law scholar Rick Hassan at UC Berkeley. He's an expert. He's nonpartisan. He looks more closely at this than just about anyone in America. And he draws a distinction. What we usually talk about when we talk about these voting laws in legislatures is voter suppression, right? Mm -hmm. We're talking about things that make it a little harder to vote or much harder to vote. So it could be things like voter ID laws. It could be the way they purge the voter rolls to get rid of people who are signed up. It could be getting rid of polling sites. It could be limiting the ability to vote by mail. It's, it's all kinds of things. And there are 30 new laws across the country that Republican legislatures have passed to do those kinds of things, voter suppression. But I'm going to call that kind of garden variety monkeying around with the elections. What's more, what's more dangerous? What's, what's more explosive for democracy is a very different kind of law that is getting passed. It's a kind of law that leads to election subversion. That is making it easier for politicians, Republican politicians in states that they control, to come in and mess with the results of an election after the fact, to discount votes, that may have happened in democratic areas to change the rules under which votes are counted in democratic areas, or even, and there are several laws that have been introduced, although not yet passed, to do this, even to have the legislature just say, you know, it's real cute what you citizens decided with your vote, you know, in your so-called democracy, but we, the legislators, say, nope, forget it. We're going to overturn the results of the election. We're going to appoint our own slate of electors to the Electoral College, and we will decide who won this election. Well, states are trying to do that. Republican legislators are trying to do that. And my concern is exactly what you laid out. If Donald Trump is the nominee, which I think is very likely in 2024, if he loses, well, that'll be bad. We saw what happened in 2020. That'll be very, very bad. We saw the reaction. You were talking right before I came on about the, the mail you get, the emails you get from the Trump group. What are they all about? They're all about 
the stolen rigged election. Well, you know all that stuff is coming again. Another possibility is Trump legitimately out and out wins. Well, that's, that's, not, that, that's not that unlikely. I mean, in 2020, Joe Biden got 52.3% of the popular vote. If he had just gotten 52%, 0.3% less, he would have lost. So there's not a lot of margin for error here. But the third possibility, the really scary one, is that Trump loses but finds a way to illegitimately, with the power of these new Republican laws focused on subversion, that Trump manages to overturn the results of the election. That is a prescription for a second civil war in the United States of America. So that which he had sort of hoped for and some Republicans had tried to do, and which Trump is still, I guess, trying to do, overturn the last election, that which they had hoped for in 2020, they might be able to do conceivably in 2024. That is right. Now, I don't want to get too, too far in the weeds here. People can check out my article on Newsweek. And one of the things I do when I write is I put in a lot of citations, a lot of links. I want people to be able to, to don't take my word for it. Do the research. You know, look, look for yourself. People can, people can make up their own minds. So I put in the links and I show my work on these things so you can read the sources of information that I'm reading. You can judge for yourself. So check out on, on Newsweek, check out my, my article and, and you can find all the citations to this. But yes, without getting too, too far in the weeds, there was a plan. I referred a moment ago to the Eastman memo with lawyer Eastman who wrote a, a blueprint for here's how we could overturn the results of the election. And what it all depends on is the fact that the Constitution is pretty vague about how we count the results of a presidential election. And so back in 1887, we passed a law, the Electoral Count Act, and it is terribly written. Everyone agrees on that. By the way, this is not a, this is not a liberal, centrist, or conservative point. I mean, everyone agrees that it's vague and terribly written and totally unclear. Well, what Eastman says is, let's take advantage of that. Mike Pence can just say, you know what, I don't, I don't accept the results that you say you have here. I, I'm just going to kind of make up my own. It's like a choose your own adventure. I'm going to, I'm going to make up my own desired result. And so what Republicans have done is they paved the way for that kind of a process to happen at the state level and even at the federal level in the future. They've made it easier for states to declare winners that they like, to declare Donald Trump the winner, just whatever the vote is, to, to, to come up with their own results. And then they've also made it easier for some future senators, Ted Cruz types, to come in and muck around and say they don't accept results that have come in from the states, and they're going to fight them, and they're going to contest them. And... Yes, that is, that is the heart of the problem. That's the most explosive, dangerous problem that we're dealing with here. And I think that's the issue that has to be number one. While Democrats still have power in Washington, the number one thing they have to head off just to preserve the country. You, uh, you offer a couple of solutions in your Newsweek article, and I don't have enough time to go into great detail on them right now. But among them, you're suggesting that Democrats need to 
perhaps uh, accede a bit more to some of Joe Manchin's demands or requests or whatever you want to call them? Yeah, that's right. I mean, to put it in a nutshell, I drew the distinction before between voter suppression and election subversion. And I think they need to give some ground on voter suppression, the things like voter ID and how we purge voter rolls, in order to get some wins on election subversion. And I say that not because I'm a big fan of those voter suppression things. They're they're bad. They're awful. But what we're talking about here is saving the country. And so, yes, I do think that Democrats need to make election subversion their number one focus. And it gives them, by doing that, it gives them three ways, potentially, I argue in the article, to be successful here. One is they could actually convince some Republicans, hey, you know what, whatever we think about voter ID and all this stuff, you know, and the fact that Republicans want to put their thumb on the scale to win more elections, let's not, let's not have the whole country melt down in three years. So yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll go along with you on a package that takes care of some of this extreme stuff coming out of the states. So maybe that happens. The other thing that could happen, number two, is they could actually convince Kirsten Sinema and Senator Manchin that you know, on this issue, when we're talking about the possible meltdown of the Constitution, maybe it's time for just this issue to, to throw the, the filibuster aside. And then you could take care of both subversion and suppression. And then finally... Uh, I, I'm not sure that Senator Manchin has an interest in that, but I, I, it would be a good thing if he would, I guess. Well, he has offered his, his bill, the Freedom to Vote Act, which Correct. actually does kind of strike some middle ground. I actually kind of like where he landed on that. That's a whole discussion for another time that we don't have time for. I actually think Democrats are not thinking about voter ID quite right. I think they need to be thinking about having a floor about how bad it can get, which is probably a re- more realistic. But that's a, that's a whole discussion for another time. But, I mean, my final, my final argument truly is if you believe that there is a real chance, again, wildfire bearing down on our house of this kind of a threat, you've got to be doing everything you can. So once they clear the decks of the whole Build Back Better and infrastructure bill, which it looks like they're going to do in the next 10 days or so, they need to focus on nothing else for the next year, literally nothing else. If all they do is at least just talk about this one issue, that will be a win for them. Matt, appreciate your time this morning. Folks can look at the Newsweek article on Newsweek.com. I will also uh, link to it on um, my Facebook and Twitter accounts for those who haven't. I may have done that already, and if not, I'll do it later today when we post this this piece as well, our in, our interview as well. I, I don't disagree with you. I think, uh, you know, there's a dumpster fire heading our way, and my fear is Trump was defeated in 2020 to a large extent because people had just gone through the Trump presidency and said, oh, my God, we can't do it again. Things are going to be very different in 2024. Number one, some of the background is going to change. He's had longer time to build up his arguments against the electoral laws, and he's not going to be coming off a a four-year, repeating my word here, four-year dumpster fire of a presidency, so he's not going to be as anathema to some people as he was in 2020. So I think it's it's a it's a real uh, possibility that we need to be much more concerned about. Hey, I appreciate you. Yeah. I hope I hope so too. I I keep trying. I keep trying with him. I just don't know. 
Matt, appreciate your time. We will do it again in the near future, I'm sure. Keep on writing. Keep on talking. We'll discuss again soon. Thanks so much, Howard. Take care.